Mini episode 1278 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Quick note at the outset, regrettably, the back half of this great conversation was lost. We apologize for that. The Stanley Cup final picks... Steve picked Tampa in five or six, Russ picked Dallas in six, and I picked Tampa in six. Hello everyone, welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1278. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here, and we are bringing back the combo that we had for last year's Stanley Cup Final Preview. We are going to be previewing the 2020 Stanley Cup Final with the same two gentlemen, one of whom we always have on every year, another one we just added to the mix last year going into the final, and it was tremendous to have him on. I speak, of course, of Steve Lioletta. He is an executive for the Edmonton Oilers and uh, has worked for uh, other sports teams as well in the NHL, specifically the Nashville Predators, Ottawa Senators, my Detroit Red Wings, uh, other sports as well here, uh, Staten Island Yankees, uh, some time there. Uh, Steve has spent a lot of time on the business end of things for many top franchises and uh, it is great to have uh, his perspective on things. And uh, Steve, great to have you on, coincidentally, on the ground from the site of the Stanley Cup Finals. And if somebody would have told you that uh, six to nine months ago, you would have thought, great, our team's in the finals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, uh, I'm just like everybody else. People say, hey, have you been going to the playoffs? No, I'm not in the bubble. I'm watching them on TV like somebody else. <laughs> Well, I know you have an awful lot of familiarity with the logistics on the ground there, and uh, we'll we'll get into that about uh, some of the things about that arena and some of the things about Edmonton that led the league to select it for not just the Western Conference playoffs, but now the Stanley Cup Finals as well. Other gentleman that we have on the line is longtime FDH Lounge dignitary, proprietor of uh, Sportsology, author extraordinaire, including what I believe is his latest book, Sticks and Stones, How College Hockey Prepares You for Life. At the very least, that's his most recent hockey book. I speak, of course, of good friend Russ Cohen. You want to check out at Sportsology. He's got a column just up today, previewing the Stanley Cup Final. We'll touch on some of the same things here, and we'll get to his prediction later on in the show. Russ, good to have you on. As always, good buddy. Nobody better to have on a talk hockey with, my man. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Rick. I mean, it's, it's, it's over a year since we talked about the last Cup, which it shouldn't be, but, but it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with the, the fact that it's over a year, the fact that it's on neutral ice, all these things that, again, when any of us started getting these tinglings, uh, and I started a little bit earlier than some last winter about what this COVID-19 thing was going to be. I, I marked the date specifically. Sunday, March 1st was a day that I really read a lot of things, and things started popping into my head, and things had been sort of percolating a little bit. Uh, you know, even in the days before then, I'd been warned by some friends of mine about what was coming, some very forward-looking friends. And uh, subsequently, again, you get to the middle of March, 
the league is shut down, the restart plan comes about. So I guess on that note, I want to start with you, Steve, from, from your perspective and being intricately aware of all of the business facets of everything in the NHL, specifically with everything on the ground in Edmonton there. How did the process sort of unfold for Edmonton, not just to become one of the two hub cities, but in the end, the hub city, the one that hosts the finals as well? What was that looking like as the process was going on and talks were happening with the organization? Well, as you'll recall, the regular season ended maybe a dozen, 13 games left for most teams. And in talking to these type ones, they were going to do two bubbles in the playoffs, one in Vegas, one in Chicago, perhaps, at least last night. But I, uh, there was a flare-up, obviously, with COVID in the state, and they, they started looking north of the border. Toronto ended up being the east bubble, and Edmonton ended up being, being the west bubble. And they've done a great job in Canada in general, and in Alberta in particular, with, with putting a clamp on the virus as soon as it became something that the people had to worry about. Um, and that's that is about four and a half million people total between Calgary and Edmonton and everybody else. About four and a half million people, and there's only been uh, about 220 deaths from the virus the whole time. So we were locked in. We were we had good protocol going. And I think one thing that's really put it on the top for Edmonton anyway, which I can speak of, is there's a JW Marriott brand new attached right to the arena. So the teams that stayed there literally never had to go outside. They went right from the hotel to a walkway into the arena. And that was the perfect bubble for everybody. Yeah, sounds like it with the logistics. And uh, those those numbers on the deaths are uh, very impressive as far as how low they've been because uh, where I live on America's north coast uh, in uh, the, the Cleveland, Ohio area here, Cuyahoga County, I mean, we don't think of ourselves as particularly hard hit, but it's like 500, 600 dead and you know, I tell people it's remarkable when I see that, like, our death figures are greater in, in our county than all of Australia, for example. You know, I mean, when you start comparing some of the death numbers in the states, even the areas you don't think of as being bad, and I don't think anybody would think that Cuyahoga County's been hit particularly hard, but, yeah, you start comparing it internationally, and I guess it has been. Uh, to turn the question to you, Russ, from an NHL media perspective, as they were going through the whole restart process and as everything was, was sort of percolating, uh, what were your thoughts and expectations for what the bubble was going to be like relative to how it's played out? Oh, I had faith in the bubble. Like, I was a early bubble announcer, if that's such a thing, and was really kind of confused when other sports didn't want to do that. Me too. It didn't make sense, didn't make sense to me. I had put a lot of research into it, and... It's the best way. Like, I'm in an area that really wasn't hard hit at all. But recently, now that school is back in, uh, university, there's a couple hundred kids on the university that, that have the virus now. They're supposed to be locked down at the university, but, you know, for kids, who knows? Sure. So that, you know, that's, that's created some, uh, some, some tense moments here in, in this town, but I think it's relatively under control other than that. But, yeah, I just, I, I was early adopted for the local. I went on to the uh, NHL conference call, and I got to tell you, that's when things changed for me. Like, I I, I knew it was going to be good, but then I realized how good. And I have to say, the one thing I give the NHL most credit for, and I wouldn't have thought it would end up in Edmonton, and, and no um, 
no slight to but a lot of players were saying they thought they'd be too bored. And, and that was an issue early on. You probably heard that. And so I thought maybe they would lose the fight because of that. Uh, because you saw when they were in Toronto, you know, they got to play over at, uh, at, at BMO, and, and that seemed to be a little bit more exciting for them. But end of the day, it turned out to be great. And last year, Steve told us about the Marriott, so I remember using that and writing about it. And, and I was impressed with what they did and what they did with uh, where the Oilers play. And the fact, when I saw them, they were putting a build into this place, Rick, like they would for a WrestleMania, I was like, you know what? This is really smart. I, I can see why they would want to have, you know, the conference finals and, and the final there. And it, it's going to be tremendous from, in that regard because that was good foresight. Absolutely, and again, I've been watching the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs in about equal measure, which I know the same probably cannot be said for you, Russ, but I'm sure you've seen <laughs> you've seen enough to know that the NBA is approaching it the same way. Basically, turn it into a studio. Make the most of it. Don't let it just be a dull, drab, empty arena. And both sports, I think, get high marks for the way that they've made those places come alive. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I can say is on the um, on the Stanley Cup media frenzy today, uh, Mike and Corey Perry then basically said that, hey, you know what, this feels exactly like the playoff hockey should feel. Uh, we know there's no fans here, and we love the media day the way it normally is with all the with reporters here, but as far as the play goes, once you're playing, it feels the same. And, you know, I don't think it was contrived. I don't think players were saying that to make the real meat feel good. I mean, they've, they've, they've sacrificed a lot, uh, a lot of time to be away from their family. So I really do believe them because I think if they were happy, I think they would write about it. And so, uh, to me, yeah, the play is falling off. Uh, actually, you know, if we want to count a sport that's just bizarre, you can look at baseball and just see how weird or bad the pitching is and other things. And, and you look at this and you say, you know, you know, other than a few um, bad games early on when they were doing maybe the play-in part, not even the, uh, what they were calling the non-playoff playoffs, um, but the, you know, a couple of those games, there were some rugby uh, players out there, but the plays were really good all throughout the playoffs and especially in the conference final. And so, yeah, I... I feel like we uh, we haven't lost anything, and I also feel like this is a very legitimate season where nobody's going to look at the season and say, "All right, you know what? We're going to have to like think about this differently than than other cup victories." Right. Yeah. The stakes aren't imaginary. I mean, you know, players are going to get their names on the cup. They're going to get to have the cup for a day. I mean, that's all the usual trappings that come with it. You will be a champion the rest of your career, the rest of your life. I mean. The stakes are the same as they've always been. One thing I want to ask you, Steve, uh, from the perspective, and maybe this is just sort of like the hockey nerd in me of things that I remember, but I remember a lot of epic series. I remember having a lot of fun watching it on ESPN back in the day in the late 90s, some of them Dallas-Edmonton series. Is there any chatter up there in Edmonton uh, these days about, hey, I remember those series over 20 years ago? Because those, those were a lot of fun. Dallas always had the better team on paper, but those series were so fun and competitive. Well, the Oilers have got a great tradition, obviously, a great group of alumni. And in the glory days, uh, winning those cups back with Greta and Mensier 
And, and particularly, again, uh, I mean, if there's if there's a better young one-two punch in the league than what you guys got, uh, I haven't seen it anywhere. So, yeah, I, I, I say that quite enviously as a uh, Red Wings fan. I remember when that used to that used to be said of us once upon a time. Now we're the guys envying other teams. But I guess from what you said, uh, Steve, I guess I'll start on the Tampa Bay side of things because when you're talking about franchise building and the kind of things you were getting into there. This has been a long-term project in Tampa Bay. You go back to the drafting of Stamkos in 08, and then subsequently uh, the work that was done uh, by the guy, uh, somebody who you worked alongside in an organization at one point. Uh, my greatest sports idol, uh, Steve Eiserman, uh, as general manager of Tampa Bay, and uh, somebody who is not going to get his name on the cup, but I think a lot of people are going to acknowledge for his work done if they get over the hump this year. And when you look at that, if you're a team like Edmonton, it strikes me that the model that you're looking at is Tampa Bay, the way they've gone about things. Now, that's assuming they finished the job this time around. Uh, they last got a good look at it five years ago. A lot of us didn't think it would take too long for them to get back. I remember before the season picking Tampa and Dallas to be in the finals, but this was like 2016, 2017. I was a couple of years early. But as far as the progression that Tampa Bay has made, uh, with the forward depth uh, and the explosiveness there, Hedman anchoring a really good blue line, Vasilevsky and goal uh, picking up uh, nicely from what uh, Ben Bishop had done years earlier. Uh, it, it seems to me that that's uh, the model that probably just about everybody in the league is looking at, if you, if you can maximize these high draft picks into something really sensational. Yeah, I'm talking about the Red Wings just for a quick, quick, quick second. Mm -hmm. Talking about Eisenman, I think... One of the differences between this team that I've noticed, having been around the sport and you know, played as a kid coming up, one of the big differences is we're still lacking that veteran leadership on the Oilers. I mean, Connor's the greatest player in the game, in question. Quiet guy, though. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Quiet guy. He's, he's German. He's not going to get the locker room a while, but it's not in him. And we tried to have guys like Lucic, Patty Maroon, we brought veterans like that in to try and you know, get that veteran element going. Uh, but in Luke Cheech's case, especially, you got to have the street press if you're going to uh, call other guys out, right? And this time here, uh, I'd love to be trying hard, but I mean, he couldn't even catch the pass by, you know, by the end of it. So I, I think that's an issue that we're going to overcome yet. And, you know, when you start looking at this matchup in the, in the um, Stanley Cup final here, it's interesting. 
interesting, you know, you start checking the boxes, and on paper it looks like Tampa, you know, they've got the best goaltending, they've got the top defensemen, uh, they've got a better record over the playoffs recently, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, look at the Dallas, I'm sure, look at Dallas, they've got this veteran team. they got nine guys that are 33 years or older. Many of them have never been in the final. This is their kick at the can. This is their shot. So it's going to be fun to watch. Absolutely, and I've, I've got a statistical breakdown that we'll get to on uh, Tampa and Dallas, maybe as we're segueing uh, from Tampa to Dallas, because uh, uh, Tampa Bay, again, as you said, you know, sort of the prototypical team you would expect to be here, and when you're looking at that type of veteran leadership on a team, you bring in guys like McDonough, you bring in guys like Shattenkirk, and ultimately, again, I think that's one more way that Tampa Bay is sort of the model for a lot of the, the, the younger teams like Edmonton there, if, if you can just augment it with the right pieces to help get you over the top, which is what they're aspiring to do right now. Uh, as you look at it, uh, Russ, again, this is a team coming off of a historic heartbreak a year ago. I, I think one of the absolute greatest upsets of the 21st century, particularly how it happened, getting swept by, let's face it, I mean, a really good Columbus Blue Jackets team, but that was a historically great Tampa Bay regular season team and to be able to come back this is almost sort of reminiscent and it's funny because uh, Tampa had, had the best record since I think it was the Red Wings the year before we won the cup and then we won the cup the next year I mean Tampa Bay is right on track to do what the Red Wings did the next year which is just bulldoze through any kind of obstacles in the way get the job done use it as motivation fuel for the fire that's what I see when I see Tampa Bay playing right now Same staff, he wasn't coach, but he was still an assistant. 
and soon it was on the same staff. And so, yeah, bonuses were waiting all the time, right? Going back since then. And he's waiting for a shot. And then he was the longtime Tampa assistant. And he was, <laughs> so he and Cooper are very cordial. They know each other very well. Uh, Cooper actually said, because of the way the bubble is, uh, before game six, he saw Bonus and already congratulated him because he had moved on. And, of course, you know, Cooper hadn't just yet. And, you know, and they talked for a minute. And, you know, that's the, the kind of awfulness that's going to go on in this club. But Bonus has his fingerprints on everything. Um, so you do kind of wonder, even though Tampa has a better team, and I don't want to use team as destiny, but you do wonder, like, is there something with this Dallas team? Because, like Steve pointed out, players, they have certain players that have waited so long, but they also have a, a coach that finally got a shot. So, you know, there's a lot going on here. While Tampa has been through its own turmoil in terms of underachievement a year ago, uh, you know, you just sort of put your finger on it, that Dallas, over the course of the last year and a half plus, has been through plenty of their own. Yeah, no question. I mean, they, but again, I always tell people, you know, you always run into people and they say, hey, I picked the stars at the beginning of the year, and, you know, my simple answer is, well, if you pick the stars, that means you pick them with Jim Montgomery's coach and Ben Bishop as the goalie. That's what you picked. You, you didn't pick them as Rick Bonus as the coach and Anton Hudobin as the goalie. That's not what you picked. So I, I have to make that distinction because this is how odd this year is. And this is a completely different team. It was a completely different team with the Winter Classic when I was there. When Bonus took over, they went from being this all-offense, no-defense team to a very defensive team with some offense. And so, you know, it's been a big transformation. It really has been, and uh, yeah, they're the more interesting team. I think no question about it. Tampa Bay is just a team that looks to be flat-out dominant as far as the talent on the roster. And uh, yeah. You look at uh, Point and, and Hedman, who have been the best players that they've had in the playoffs. Uh, but ultimately, uh, I think coming into the season, uh, most people, myself included, would have uh, said uh, Kucherov's the best player on the roster. Uh, and, and he's not getting as much pub during the playoffs, although he's still performing. They haven't even had to go to Stamkos. Dallas is definitely more interesting as far as how they're doing it. Uh, and so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to bring out our uh, FDH Ultimate Quantitative Baseline Rankings. This was coming into the playoffs. So this was prior to everything in the bubble, how the teams ranked against one another. I start with our power rankings. We had Tampa 3rd and Dallas 13th. Uh, there's another formula that we have, though, in terms of, or I'm sorry, that's their that's their formula uh, number. So Tampa's, they placed third in the formula, Dallas was 13th. In the final power rankings we did, Tampa was 4th, Dallas was 10th. We have a formula that is one-half power rankings, one-half strength of schedule. Tampa was 16th, Dallas was 6th. So level of competition is one of the rare areas where Dallas trumps them, being in that brutal central division. Power play, uh, before the bubble, Tampa was 5th, Dallas 13th. Penalty kill, Tampa 14th, Dallas 17th. Fenwick 4, Tampa 13th, Dallas 26th. Fenwick against, Tampa Bay 7th, Dallas 11th. Uh, shot percentage, Tampa 1st, 
Dallas 28, a little bit of a spread there. Uh, save percentage, Tampa 9th, Dallas 2nd, they were better on that. Even strength goals, Tampa 1st, Dallas 30th, an even bigger spread there. Uh, even strength goals against, Tampa 4th, Dallas was 1st though in that. And uh, again, coming out to a cumulative 3rd place in the uh, overall rankings for Tampa, 13th for Dallas. And this is one of these things, and we'll look at the particulars of it, but, you know, when you look at this Dallas team with uh, with Ben and Pavelski and, uh, you know, ultimately you, you, you throw in Perry and some of these guys here, uh, you know, Steve, with this thing happening in, in a... With this thing happening in a western city, uh, Steve, I'm sort of reminded of that old uh, country song, I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. I mean, you look at Dallas, they got a chance to rest up from the regular season. Some of these guys sort of to, to channel more of, of themselves from when they're in their prime. They have a lot of rest coming into the cup finals. I mean, I'm not saying, Steve, that we necessarily should have seen this coming with Dallas, but the competition of playing great regular season competition in that division, plus the time off to let some of these older guys the last couple of months get their legs back, you know, in retrospect, yeah, maybe we should have seen Dallas coming. I, I like Dallas is so interesting for so many reasons. And if you're a hockey fan, you've got to be really excited about watching these playoffs and, and seeing Heskinen uh, and, and uh, come out of the out of nowhere for most people, right? I mean, the guys that are in hockey and see the game, they understand how good he is. But so he's leading the team in scoring. He's making big plays. Um, I just love their back line. I mean, I think they've really come into their own in the playoffs. And then you throw in the veteran forwards. You know, Perry's got a cup. Uh, he's been around forever. And then i got to go back to Bowman's for a second, too, because that's just such an amazing story. I first met him many years ago in Ottawa, there, but the bonus has got more games behind the NHL bench as a head coach or assistant coach than anybody in the history of the game. Uh, this is his 45th year in hockey as a pro, 38 as a head coach, and he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Like we talked about, he was with Cooper when they lost in the finals in Tampa back in 15. He was the associate coach of Crawford in uh, Vancouver in 11. So this is his shot, too. Uh, this is a guy who, I mean, Rick Bonus is, uh, like I said, most games of anybody. And he doesn't have a cup. So you, you can't help but root for a guy like that, too, who's a nice guy. And with the three days off, not just the veteran forward guys, but the it's going to help him to have a, have a couple days off mentally think about where he's at. You know, you know, like Russ said, man, we started this year, Ben Bishop was the guy, but we started the playoffs here. Ben Bishop was the guy, but now Kedobin started, you know, 18 of the last 19 games, and uh, it's interesting to see the two Russian goaltenders battled out in the finals. It'd be fun to watch. You know, Steve, many good points there, and among them, when you're talking about the emergence of Heiskanen as a potential franchise player, which is what he's looking to be, you know, that's one of those things here where, I think when you're looking at the strength and goal throughout the course of the year, you know, you not only have Heisken in there, but somebody who, for my money, has been one of the best defensemen in the league for years in John Klingberg. I mean, that that's a heck of a one-two punch, Steve. Oh, yeah, and I like watching Klingberg, the way he gets the puck to the net on the power play. Mm -hmm. Just kind of sifts it through, doesn't fire any guy's chest. 
That's incredible. That's incredible, and it shows how valuable he is uh, to them. And and this is one of these things where, you know, you look at this, and, uh, you know, this is one of these things, Russ, where you've got a couple guys in this series that are right up there, I would say, with your uh, King Henrik as far as the uh, the best players over the course of, let's say, a decade or so career never to lift a cup. There's obviously Stamkos. you got to think he's going to be back in, uh, even if it's briefly during the series. Uh, but certainly Jamie Benn belongs in that conversation as well. And I went back and I looked, because we do our FDH rankings every year, the top players in the game, not from a fantasy sense, but just if you were starting a team, how would we rank them? And this has been the trajectory with Jamie Benn. And, and this is the way a lot of times it goes for power forwards. He was 8th on our list in 2014, 5th in 2015, 3rd in 2016. From there, 2017, 12th, 2018, 13th. He was not on the list in 2019. And yet he has had a tremendous uh, resurgence during these playoffs here. And uh, again, something where... When you're talking about players with an opportunity to really cement themselves in history, there may be none bigger than Jamie Benn if he is able to play a big role in them winning this. And quite frankly, I don't see Dallas winning this if he doesn't play a big role. No, but he's, he's definitely um, had a resurgence, especially in the playoffs. I mean, he had, he had double hip surgery about a year ago, I think. So, you know, you got to say that that's probably been a factor. Uh, he certainly was banged up before this. Uh, and right now, yeah, he looks great. He, he's maybe even played him outside of that top line and started another line with him. That's how good he's been. And he's been able to take over the teams with the forecheck and, and playing in the crease, which is, by the way, that's something Tampa doesn't do. They don't play in the crease at all. So that, you know, that's sort of a, a difference in the, uh, in the two teams as well. But yeah, I, and Heiskanen, I went back in, the, in that draft and I believe I ranked him like the second and so, yeah, I'm probably kicking myself, too, because I know a few people liked him better than me, uh, some really good top-notch draft guys, guys who are, you know, he can scout them like 20 times, whatever. I, I don't have the ability to do that. Um, so I'm not shocked that he is great, but he's even better than I thought he would be, certainly as good as a few of my buddies knew he would be. So that's interesting. Um uh, Go look at Hedman. Uh, the interesting thing about Hedman was, at the draft, uh, there were people that were like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I would have drafted him there. Uh, I think he went second, right? And, and then, for, I don't say two years after, people would start talking like, well, he's not really coming around. What's the season bus? And, you know, you get on the call today, take guys just a little bit of, of time and especially if you know you're putting that much on a 